Welcome to the Ruby Rogues podcast. My name is John Epperson, and with us on our panel today, we have Luke Stutters. Hi. Luke. And for our guest today, we're talking to Dee Lavender. Welcome. Hello. Resolve Digital helps build, optimize, and maintain e-commerce, SaaS, and other products built on Ruby on Rails. They can help build new applications from scratch, rescue projects in bad shape, provide ongoing development and maintenance for existing projects, augment your existing team with experienced Rails developers. They also specialize in Solidus and Spree Commerce solutions. Go check them out at resolve.digital. We're planning to talk today about brainstorming with introverts. Would you kind of talk to us, Didi, about maybe yourself, your background, how we came to coming into contact with you, and then maybe start us off on what you want to talk about? Okay, that sounds great. I think you said three things. So if I forgot something as I talk, you'll remind me what to fill in. Happy to um, so. so I joined the technology industry about five and a half years ago. And I work as software engineer at a company called Spreedly in the financial space. And I have this lightning talk that I love to give, especially to tech folks. I've given it at Strange Loop, which is a really super fun conference. And I also managed to get the last spot at RubyConf and presented the lightning talk there in November of 2019, which I think is how you all heard that this is a topic I like to talk about. So I am a hardcore introvert. They say it's a spectrum, like so many things. And some people feel like they're right in the middle and others feel like they lean more toward one side of the spectrum than the other. I self-identify on the far end of the introvert spectrum. Why Why is that? Why do I identify there? Well, I'm not shy. So I want to start with that because that's often a misconception right. about introversion and extroversion. You can be a shy extrovert. And in fact, I have some friends who are just that. That's a whole different ball of wax. But as an introvert, my first preference is almost always being alone. I am incredibly drained by social situations. I don't externalize easily. Uh, unless I'm angry, that seems to like change the formula a bit. But I'm mostly in my head. Do you find it depends on the people? Because I find some people are hard work. Well, this is interesting. When you're talking about one or two people individually, then I don't think the introvert, extrovert thing comes into play as much. Because I could talk to one person for hours. I, I almost always exhaust my talking partner before I feel exhausted. And so on a one-to-one -one basis, if someone is a lot of work, then they're probably not enjoying it either. And I just assume move on. I don't have any compunction to like make them speak to me. So we're talking about group situations. Just to be clear, we're talking about big departmental meetings. We're talking about situations where maybe when you talk, you feel like you have to perform a bit. Parties, social gatherings, even, even family gatherings with like um, extended family. Yes. But, but it's not just about how you find yourself in large groups. It's also about the way that you process. For instance, in the lightning talk, I share a tidbit that I have seen in several places, but specifically in Susan Cain's book, Quiet. And I forget the tagline, but the, the title of the book is Quiet. So she says, and this has been repeated several times, that extroverts tend to process by talking and then they think a bit and then they talk some more, that this is their pattern. 
And introverts are the inverse of that. Introverts first think and think and then and then talk. And then they're probably going to think some more. So it's about more than just those large group situations. It's also about the way that you process. It's about how you're energized, where you find energy, what you find exhausting. Yeah, I connect a lot with the energy one. I've spent most of my life, I think, probably right down the middle or close to the middle in almost all cases. And I've definitely spent time, I think, on both sides where I do get some amount of energy. I don't like to be alone, but I do have a lot of tendencies that are very common with introverts. And so as I was listening to your lightning talk, I definitely felt like I've always self-identified sort of as somebody who works pretty hard at the extroversion aspect. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like I prefer to be one-on-one with somebody. Uh, That's just how it works. I also have a tendency to exhaust my discussion partners. I thought it might be interesting here, especially after your questions, Luke, did you I mean, where where did you find yourself? Like, where do you where do you feel like you are in this? I have a certain reputation <laughs> for not shutting up. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, I know, I know, I don't, I don't think it's true. I, I, I don't think it's true, but it, it has been pointed out to me on a few occasions. So, that, that it's definitely a popular opinion. Luke, can I ask a question? Because I have a friend who is who is definitely an introvert, but one-on-one just hardly takes a breath. So when you say that you have a reputation for never shutting up, is this in, in group settings or is this in one-on-one or is it across the board? I used to be in a boy band. So I, I used to do a lot of performing too. So it gets, it gets worse the, dig you, the deeper you dig. So really my... I, I'm I am that person in the meetings who won't shut up. I'm one of these two or three people you talked about RubyConf who take over the discussion. That's me. You've come you've come face to face with the face of meeting extroversion. I, I see this as an opportunity to educate myself about how to shut up. Well, there are some specific tips that I offer for extroverts who are looking to help balance contributions. I do um, need help. I, I, many, many would agree that I need help, so it's it's good I'm getting it. So, uh, so yeah, please, please help me. Well, um, I'm happy to go into that now. I would say that there are also things introverts can do to help promote themselves and to be sure that part of their internal dialogue includes knowing that their contributions are really valuable. And sometimes introverts just don't care if you think they're valuable or not, and so it's easier to just be quiet. But recognizing the impact on the larger group is really important. And, and that can sometimes help motivate introverts to speak up when they don't feel motivated to do so for other reasons. So for extroverts, a couple things come to mind. Not allowing yourself to be the first person to respond and just forcing yourself to wait until two or three other people have spoken first. This can be incredibly hard, but it can go a long way. But... What if they're wrong? What if those people are wrong and I'm right? Should I, should I not tell them? I would say no, you should not tell them, at least until they have had a chance to fully explain <sighs> their point of view. Now, another really important tip, Luke, which remember you've asked for. I have. I've really asked for it. It's <laughs> to cultivate curiosity. And this often means allowing silence which sounds much simpler than it is, in fact. 
And cultivating that curiosity about what other people are truly thinking means waiting for them to get it all out in their time, which is going to be much different than the time it would take you to get out what you have to say. I have a thought here, maybe maybe a disagreement, because my wife is definitely an extrovert, and I am the more introverted one of the two of us. I'm certainly not the extreme two. Like she's a super extrovert, so my wife is like also one of those magical people that like she goes to the gas station and she comes home and she's like, I have a new best friend, right? Like, and legit, like all of our best friends, like this is more or less how we make friends. My wife goes and makes them. And then I'm sort of like the person that's like uh, better at like long-term relationships and maintaining them. And so like, yeah, then we, I help keep them. Uh, but anyway, rock. yeah. So it takes her forever. Like it, I, I thought it was interesting. Like she has a difficult time talking through things. But I, uh, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that that means that your point is wrong, Didi, but I definitely was thinking there are definitely, definitely exceptions to this rule that just don't fit at all. Yes, of course. And, and we should, we should say right out front that this aspect of introversion and extroversion is only one layer on many possible dynamics in a conversation or even in a discussion session. So there could be lots of other things that are impacting your wife's ability to like say what's on her mind in the moment. But but extroversion and introversion is one layer. One thing we can try to make allowances for in the hopes of improving the overall experience. I also realized that technically that was a polite interjection. I'm sorry about my interjection. Uh, so what other things should extroverts know? Yes. Okay. So another tip for extroverts there are two more that come to mind. When you've shared in a room, don't speak again until everyone has shared. And this might mean allowing that silence to really unfold. Oh, I like so that. that you, right. So if you've spoken once, don't speak twice until everyone has spoken. Now, some people may not want to speak, but they should have the opportunity to say, I have nothing to add. You can, you can move on. So yeah, another, it sounds like it needs a computer science name, like a kind of uh, philo buffer or a um, rotational thing. What's what's that called, John? The um, the the stack that rotates. What a first in, first out buffer. Is that what you're talking about? I don't know because it's it's uh, if if because I'm in a room. There's ten other people. I've gone on for five minutes. So now I think, oh no, I need to shut up and wait Chicken. for someone else to speak. So Chicken. now I've got to kind of get all those people off the stack. Okay, so now we're definitely going down a rabbit hole, but but I'll, I'll bite. So you definitely put it in the constraint of a stack. Did you mean a stack or are you just trying to find the word here? I'm just trying to find a word. I know there's a word. Okay, I mean, we can take turns. Maybe maybe that you know thing from preschool, a rotation. I want to call it a conversational state machine. Round robin. I want to give it a cool name or like a kind of um, a Markov chatter. I don't know that we're going to find it. Should we keep get ourselves out of the hole? Okay, that, that, so that's that's like a really solid tip. So you've said your bit and you think, oh no, now I'm going to play a game or I'm going to wait for everyone else to speak. I like that. Yeah, so it's very effective. Another Another tip for extroverts is in that spirit of cultivating curiosity and allowing some silence, there also can be a, a boost or an invitation for an introvert to respond. So when that impulse comes, I have an answer for this. There's something I want to say. 
reroute that. And instead of sharing your opinion for the third or fourth time, say, I'd love to hear what Sam thinks about this. Won't they now, think Sam, I'm picking on Sam? I think it depends on your, so many things. It depends on your dynamic, your tone of voice, how it's presented. If you said, I would really love to hear what Sam has to think about this because I know that this is something he has experience with, or this is something that I've heard him talk to other people about, right? Like you can, you have a lot of power in that moment to make it a positive invitation for Sam. Right. And these are all going to be colleagues. So you're going to know the overlapping areas. Yeah. I think one of the things that strikes me a lot about these points, um, like these tips for extroverts and we should keep going on with more of them. But one of the things that struck me as I was kind of reading through the things that you wrote in discussion points before the show and, and as I was thinking through things and as Luke was writing some questions uh, in there, I kind of feel like this requires empathy on the part of the extrovert, which, you know, I mean, we discuss this quite a bit in our community, which is awesome, but it's also a hurdle for some people. I love the way you phrase that, that the empathy is required from extroverts. And that leads me to talk about this really pervasive aspect of our culture where extroverts are seen. There's like an extrovert bias. The person who speaks up the loudest must know the most. And so acknowledging that extrovert bias might help extroverts feel that responsibility and empathy to elicit input from the other folks in the room. Yeah, I absolutely don't disagree. I think it fits. I mean, like most problems, I think that there are many, I don't know, many hands in the pot, so to speak, many things contributing to the mess that we see in front of us. But this is a very clear and easy one to see, I think. So what else? Keep going down the extrovert path. More things. So I, just to recap, I think I've mentioned four things now. And, and I don't know that there's a lot more to say that's, that, that can be prescriptive, but these four tips could be a, a springboard for you personally to consider what other behavior you might change or alter. So just a quick recap, creating curiosity, which translates to silence, like making space. Introverts need a couple beats because they're very, when you're talking, they're listening. They're not formulating what they're going to say next which is something extroverts don't do as well in general. Of course, a broad blanket statement here, but it's not uncommon for an introvert to start talking and an extrovert is speaking as soon as there's a break in the sound waves, right? But introverts are not like that. They are actually listening to what you're saying. So they haven't had a chance to prepare their response until they have these few moments of silence. Quite a lot of the time, I know what they're going to say. So I start talking before they finish. And I find that really helps move the conversation along. <laughs> well, I wonder what the introverts in conversation with you would say about that particular technique. I think they're just grateful because I've helped the meeting end sooner. <laughs> okay. So back to my list here. Uh, that you're, was you're, the saying first that, you're saying that well, I shouldn't do that and give them space. I think you should give them space. I think that if you were curious about what introverts had to say that you would give them a lot of space even after they've stopped speaking that you would pause before you start speaking in case there's something else they want to add and i can make a great case for why 
everyone should want to know what these introverts are thinking. Just because someone is silent in a meeting, that actually should be an indicator to you that you've missed something that could be amazing. Okay, back to the list. Don't be the first to speak. Wait until two or three other people have spoken. Don't speak twice before everyone has had a chance to speak. And the last one, um, I'm going through the list in my brain, was the, oh, the invitation, creating space, using your power as an extrovert to invite introverts in to contribute. So I have a question for you. How do you have any stories or examples of how this has like played out and been successful? And then maybe on the flip side, do you have any uh, pitfalls or anything that have happened trying to do this too? Okay, um, I'll start with the with the first question. I do have a great story about how silence makes a difference in a meeting. So I was in a large uh, group discussion, about twenty five or thirty people, and the point of the meeting which is something that I'd love to circle back to. But the point of the meeting was to discuss and get feedback and sort of brainstorm ideas about a topic relevant to our company. And it was going as most meetings do that are large. Large meetings are hard to moderate, for one, uh, but not impossible. It can be done well. And a couple of people had dominated the conversation for probably 20 minutes. And the moderator did something that completely shocked and delighted me. He said, I would like to pause and let those folks who haven't contributed yet add their thoughts. And I was just like grinning ear to ear, completely enamored that this had happened in this meeting. And it wasn't three beats later that one of the people who had been talking for those first 20 minutes started to say something. And it was clear that this person truly thought that they had waited long enough. And I couldn't help myself before I even took a breath. I was interrupting that person to say, I'm sorry, it hasn't been long enough. And that was really like um, taking a risk for me to interrupt that person. First of all, it's not nice to interrupt people. Introverts don't do it easily, I promise you. And this person had a lot of seniority, had a lot to say, but I just held my ground let the awkward moment ride. And sure enough, three people who rarely contribute in large groups added invaluable thoughts to the discussion. So that was a moment for me that I felt affirmed, not only about how important silence is, but also that like you have to stand up and make space for people to contribute. A V for validated moment, for sure. Okay, and then you asked me a second thing, which now I've already forgotten. Not a problem. Um, so I was going to ask if you happened to uh, know of or have encountered any pitfalls or anything where this didn't quite work out so well, things that, you know, I don't know, some cautionary things that you could put up. Like, from my perspective, the way that I'm thinking of it is I definitely have seen people attempt to do this in the past, right? And just kind of fall flat on their face. And I'm trying to think through, like, how that might have happened. And I was wondering if you maybe understood that problem. Well, so Hopefully. To, to clarify, when you say you've seen people try to do this, but they've fallen flat on their face, are you referring specifically to the leader or moderator of a meeting? Yeah, I, I think that people, like, I think that I've seen people genuinely try to do this and not succeed at it. And, and I'm trying to, okay, so I, I started and still am involved in this uh, local. 
uh, group here in Charlotte or whatever, Charlotte Dubs, and just kind of blew up into like 3,000 people. So we have like, you know, some leaders and things. And I totally, and some of our leader meetings have have tr- attempted to moderate like this and ended up having some bad results. And as I have evaluated over time, some of it has been, and the thing that I'm thinking of, uh, the one that's like fitting in my head the most, like I think the issue that I had is I was trying so hard to get opinions from the quieter people that I was sort of betting the house on that. I was, I was like, I was pushing for them to speak instead of having a goal in mind and letting them speak. Like, I didn't leave it at the invitation. I was trying to get their involvement, right? Which I think was too far in retrospect. I can picture exactly the dynamic that you're describing. And I would say that this is where really having like a toolbox as a moderator comes in helpful. So what I mean by that is that there are different techniques you can use. And when one's not working, you pivot quickly and you find something else that is going to draw people in. And um, I want to talk about some of those, those tools or some of those things that you can pivot to when an invitation is not enough. But I want to say first that part of leading a, a really robust discussion, and, and all of these tips are, they're not for the kind of meetings where someone is going to tell you what the plan is going forward. These are, these are for the types of meetings where you want feedback, you want input, you want there to be a discussion. So that, that's the context uh, under which I'm, I'm talking about this. And as a moderator, having a really clear goal for what you want to get out of a meeting is paramount. You have to start there. You have to start with a clearly communicated agenda and objective for the time together. And and that actually goes a long way toward elicit, uh, getting those introverts to contribute. So some tools as a moderator, if I'm trying to picture the situation that you described, John, one thing is not everybody processes auditorially. I, I specifically am a very visual processor. So discussions are sometimes hard just based on the, on the auditory focus. And sometimes taking a meeting to, to paper and pencil is the most brilliant thing you can do. So in asking a question out in the open, I'd love to hear what you all think about this. You make it more specific and you say, here are some note cards and pencils. Please take a moment. Everybody write down the top three things that you think are important here. Or maybe you write them on three different stickies and then you have a session where you group them all. Now you've got so much feedback. You've got so many data points from this group of people where before only two or three people were speaking. Ah, so so you have you you, you hand them out. Yeah. That's smart. And instead of asking people to vocalize, you have them write it down. This very this levels the playing field in a very powerful way. You can make what it anonymous you, or not. What do you think about whiteboards and whiteboarding? Well, I think it depends on the context. So again, if we're sticking to a meeting where you want to solicit feedback and input and, and generate a discussion, then I would say, how do you see the whiteboard as a, as a tool in that situation? I love the idea of everyone having a little post-it note or an index card and writing the stuff down. I think that's, I, I really like that. I don't think I've ever seen that done for real. But I find when, when as soon as you said write stuff down, I thought, oh, no, not the whiteboard. 
No. Because in my experience, a whiteboard means the opposite. And now that one person who's holding the pen is now going to take over the meeting for 15 minutes. No, this is not a, a, a method I would recommend for the, a discussion kind of group. Another idea that comes to mind, John, for the situation you described is when something's not working in a large group, a moderator can feel that. And again, you have to be able to pivot quickly and you have to have a lot of ideas that you've accumulated that you can try out as the next option to get things moving. And in a large group, a very effective tool is to break people into smaller groups. And you say, the room is going to count off by fours that will generate four groups over size. There are different ways to do this depending on how large your group is. Again, the idea is to be creative about it. But you get groups of three or two or three or four people together and you say, choose one person to take notes, choose another person to be the one who brings the small group's findings back to the larger group. And you allow people's strengths to sort of rise to the surface here. So maybe somebody wants to take notes. Maybe somebody feels comfortable bringing the small group's findings back to the larger group. And then as a moderator, you collect the input from all those small groups and and sort it with the group somehow. So these are just a few off the top of my head ideas about what you can do when you're in a large group and you feel like the dynamic's not going the way you want it to. I think these are really awesome. I think they also kind of lead into the thing that has been really bugging me this whole time, which is, so we've been talking about this kind of context of these large meetings where our specific goal was to solicit as much feedback as we can from everybody. What happened? I mean, do you... Do you feel like the same kind of uh, these same kind of techniques work if we start to translate to a different situation? For example, I think we're all developers here, so you know that time when you are having a discussion, you know, depending on your team size with your colleagues about how you're going to solve a particular thing or whatever, right? Maybe it's a an architecture discussion or something like that, right? How does it translate, or is it just completely sort of non-applicable? because other things sort of like override it. Does it translate to the the discussions that maybe we have? I, I don't know. I feel like I have more of these uh, smaller group discussions or whatever as a developer, right? Like these architecture discussions or maybe a, a small discussion that spins out of Scrum or something like that, right? Yes. Okay. So this is... Um... I do think that that many of these things translate to the kind of meetings you're describing. The first two things that come to mind are that having a clear agenda and objective for the meeting is really critical. Are you trying to ascertain the experience in the room? Are you trying to brainstorm ideas for a way to solve a problem? Are you trying to make a plan on how you're going to approach something once the plan's been made? Like what's the strategy for delivering? Right. So that is critical to know that. And then the other piece that is just going to make all the difference in your meetings is a strong moderator. So if we have a strong moderator and we want to do a couple things in a meeting, I'm just making this up as I'm going. Let's say we want to do all of those things. We want to ascertain what the experience level is in the room. We also want to brainstorm ideas for how to solve a problem. And we want to put together uh, a step-by-step plan for implementation. So a moderator is going to be like laser focused on accomplishing those goals. So the first thing you can do is to say, who has experience in th- with this issue by a show of hands, not asking people to speak. 
Okay, so you have a show of hands, and then you can further narrow that down. Who has has experience with using this technology in more than three projects or for more than five years or however you want to do it? Again, a moderator can be such a powerful influence on how these meetings go. So once you've established like who the experts are in the room, then maybe you break it into small groups and let them be spread them out evenly in the small groups so that the discussion and the brainstorming has those experts kind of built in, but make it clear using certain techniques or, or strategies that you do want the brainstorming part that you want to hear from everybody, no matter how senior or junior or experienced or inexperienced they are, that you make it um, an intentional objective to get input from everybody, regardless of experience level. Okay, so let's say you've done that. You've had a great small group discussion with your experts embedded uniquely as, po- as much as possible. And then to make a plan, you come back to the room and you say, okay, popcorn style, shout out the steps that you think are needed. And you just randomly write those down. And then you say, okay, now we're going to go around the room and I want to hear from each person. This is like going in the round. It, what it does for introverts is it gives them a place in line so they can listen fully to the people ahead of them and don't have to worry like waiting for that pause so that they can speak up. And it also kind of gives them time to plan what they're going to say. And, and of course, it means that you hear from everybody. Uh, now, a good moderator will also say, don't feel pressured to answer. You can pass if you want. But just to keep things moving, we're going to go in the round. And you hear from everybody one time about the thing that they think is most important from all those random steps you've um, gotten popcorn style from the group. So, I mean, I don't know that this is like the best meeting you're ever going to have, but what I'm trying to illustrate are all the different ways a moderator can use different strategies to accomplish their goals and to get input from the people they most want it from. Oh, I I think this is awesome. So, uh, you know, thank you because we didn't like prep you with this question and you're feeling it super well. So off off the cuff, what you said at the very beginning was not not the strong suit of the introvert. So right. is there is there any way that having a, a, a moderator so start a meeting because you know, this person's gonna be the moderator, Dee's gonna be the moderator, she's gonna moderate the meeting. Is there any way that people might be put off by that because it then becomes a formal thing, you know? Or am I am I just imagining that? How how's how do people react when they're told this this is gonna be moderated now and you're gonna do what you're told? Well, interestingly, I think that a good moderator makes themselves the least interesting thing in the room. So in a, in, a proper, in a proper moderator role, your opinion is not a part of the discussion. And this can be tricky, especially in tech groups, because the leader of the meeting is often like, you know, the leader of the group, right? But that power dynamic has an impact on the group. And so the moderator of a, of a meeting, especially again, where we're trying to get discussion going or we're trying to get feedback, balancing your role as a moderator with what you want to say to the group is a delicate thing. So I would not present a moderator to the group with a big announcement and say, you're going to do what this person says. But I would definitely make sure that your moderator is prepared and understands their responsibilities to the group which is to hold the line so that people behave in a certain way. Starting by establishing shared ground rules is 
I just can't emphasize enough, like how far that goes, because what you're doing is you're crafting together, like what's important for you in the meeting. And this strategy works in so many settings. Uh, My children have a very complicated chore chart that they have created themselves, right? So this, like this way to, to build buy-in can be used so effectively with a new moderator. Like, let's say I join your company and you ask me to lead a meeting and I'm just a software engineer. I'm not um, in leadership or anything like that. The first thing I would do when I come into the room is to say, well, I'm new here and um, I'd like to hear what things are important to you in meetings. And I'm going to take some notes and I write it on the whiteboard. And I say, oh, is this something that you've done in the past? Is this something you want to continue? Or is this something we could let go of? Here's, here's maybe another suggestion for another way to do it. Now, I do a lot of moderation, not all technology. And every person in every meeting that I'm in knows number one rule as a moderator. And that is that one person speaks at a time, full stop. So establishing that rule in the very beginning makes it very easy for the meeting to proceed in an orderly fashion. But whatever the rules are, whatever is important to your group or to you as a moderator, establish that up front and, and use the group to help build that shared agreement. Have you thought about making a career transition into data analytics? You should check out Springboard's Data Analytics Career Track. It's similar to an online data analytics bootcamp with the difference that a career track follows a project-based learning methodology where students work on real-life projects that employers are interested in. The program's 100% online, and each student is paired with a data analytics expert who provides unlimited one-on-one mentorship and support throughout the program via video conference calls. Springboard also offers job guarantees for all their career tracks. That means you don't have to pay for the program until you secure a new job in data analytics. Ruby Rogues is exclusively offering a scholarship of $500 to interested applicants based in the U.S. or Canada. Make sure to use the code DASpringboard when you enroll. There are only 20 scholarships available, and scholarships are awarded on a first-come, first-served basis. Check if you qualify by applying at devchat.tv DAC. The application is free and it takes 10 minutes. That's devchat.tv slash DAC. I actually also wanted to jump in here because I have a little bit that I can speak to this, right? Because you were talking about the power dynamic, right? Somebody who is part of a group. I mean, actually, we could probably all speak to this in a little bit because as developers, right? We've probably been in a situation where we had an opinion on how we should solve a problem. And yet we were also trying to get everyone else's opinion at the same time. And so we're playing that dance. I personally love the word dance because I think that it expresses like everything about it. It's like super delicate. There's a way that you're supposed to do it. And there's a lot of like sort of, there's a a, a feel, you have to feel your way through it at the same time that you sort of know the rules, right? But yeah, I mean, specifically when you're leading a discussion and you also have an opinion, you can't be first and you also can't be last like ever. Like that's like the number one rule. You can't have the last word because your, your word just weighs too much. And you can't be first. And somehow you have to let everyone go first and you have to let everyone speak after you. And it's really hard. And that's part of why I was asking some of these questions is because I, I know the rules, but just because you know the rules doesn't mean that you can succeed at making them happen, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And this is where some of these other strategies are so priceless. For instance, having everybody write something down on a note card. As a moderator, 
you can participate in that. You can write your opinion down and it gets mixed in with everyone else's and it's anonymized and nobody knows who said what. Now that's not always the right approach, but it's just one example of how a moderator who is also a part of the group can participate in a way that doesn't overuse their power as the leader of the group. So I guess another another thing that I'm thinking about here is there's, I mean, shoot. Okay, so I guess I'll draw from personal experience again. There are definitely conversations that I have, like specifically, I think really good, really good ones here are like these architectural discussions where it's highly likely as an engineer that you come in with a pre predisposed bias towards some solution, right? Somebody said the problem, it's kind of sort of, it seems to be baked into most people's brains that I encountered, that you start working through it pretty quickly. And you, especially if you're given time before you actually do this discussion, you typically come in, or I feel like most people do come in with a bias towards one solution or another. Sometimes you do have people that don't, but I feel like, I don't know, I'd say 70 or 80% of developers have an opinion in these discussions. So you're, you end up in these situations where you have five people in a discussion and they all sort of have a bias towards one solution or another. And you do want to hear out everyone's um, thing. I'm not necessarily asking you for an answer to this, by the way, because this is a super hard problem, I think, for all of us. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like we come into these with, with our own opinions. And too often, I feel like there's two dynamics going on. One is the sort of silence aspect of some people in the group who are just sitting there silent. But also, there are also people in the group, which their Venn diagrams may overlap, who are just like, this is somebody in the group really cares about their opinion. That seems to be a norm. And so people will kind of bail because they're like, well, this is too intense. Like, I'm just not willing to spend my social capital actually arguing this situation. I'm just going to take my toys and go home. Yeah, so I'm just kind of curious. Like, do you have thoughts about navigating that? Because that isn't exactly like, how should I put this? That isn't the same dynamic that we're talking about today, right? That's sort of a tangential thing that mixes into this, right? And so you're trying to deal maybe with the with one aspect or the other, and you stomp all over the other one that you care about. I think that this is a really interesting problem for a moderator to their objective. And do it in a way that elicits the most kind of participation possible. And it is true that my lightning talk is called Brainstorming with Introverts. And I have this sort of passion about introversion and convincing extroverts that they really do want to hear what introverts are thinking. But I would say that my my deeper love is just as a moderator and, and being able to run successful sessions, whatever the objective. And so I, I think that when you're able to look at the problem as you stated, that you can get, like give yourself some time to think of creative solutions outside of the box for how you can solve that particular problem. And this, this is something that came to mind while you were talking. It may not be a solution for the, the problem that you're having, but it's just an example of like a way to think creatively as a moderator. So what if you in the situation you described where people are supposed to come with like an opinion about something they've researched beforehand, you paired people up and you said, you each have three minutes, make your pitch to the other person. And then you as the moderator say, okay, three minutes are up. Now the other person makes their pitch to the other person. Three minutes are up. And now when we come back together, I want 
the person who heard the pitch presented to the group, not the person who came with the pitch, right? I mean, this is just like one thing that comes to mind, like a way to creatively get in there and mess around with those things that you're describing. I'm like super floored right now. That's super clever. And Okay. So I do have a follow-up question on this too, that, that I've been, it's been sort of been sussed out, I think. So there seems to be a theme here that there's a lot of planning involved in make, in order to make this successful, you have to plan. So how do you, how do you deal with, for example, I discussed earlier, we had a scrum meeting and we suddenly had a discussion like kind of come out of that, right? So we had very little time to plan here. How do you, how do you handle these things? Do you always spin them off into the future on purpose so that you have that time? Yeah, I mean, planning is a really important part of being a solid moderator, no doubt about it. But being able to sink on your feet and being willing to experiment and and when you fail, pivot quickly. Th- those things are also critical. So if you're in a meeting and something in the dynamic bubbles up, and, and needs to be addressed, there are a few ways you could handle it. You could say, okay, wow, I can feel that the energy has changed and that this is something that's important and we need to tackle this. So let's take a minute of silence. Everybody write down two or three thoughts about this and then we're going to share them in the round, right? It's like a way for the moderator to just quickly get a hold of the situation, bring emotions down and, and sort of acknowledge what's happened in the, in the room, but also maintain order. Now, Another strategy would be to say, let's let this conversation go on for another five minutes. I can see that it's really important to everyone, but then we're going to stop and we'll set a time to come back to this. So that's like punting, right? But that's a totally valid strategy. And it might be the best thing for the group. If emotions are really getting out of hand or if people are caught off guard about something that someone else brings up. I mean, there are all sorts of possible possibilities here. But again, going back to the idea that as a moderator, there is always something you can do in the moment. And being really respectful of people and validating what their experience is, this is otherwise known as like reading the room. Uh, You can be an introvert or extrovert to do this well. And having just this like creative approach to your job as a moderator. Are you a formally appointed moderator in these cases? Or do you take it upon yourself? Most of my time spent as a moderator is with the understanding that that is my role. But there are times where I find myself in a meeting and the person who's called the meeting or who's leading the meeting isn't rising to the job or, or maybe ha- doesn't realize like what's expected of them. And so in those situations, I tread pretty lightly. I don't have a big agenda for taking over meetings, but I do try to help implement a couple of things. You know, like for instance, if people are just talking over each other, then I will definitely say, I'm auditorially challenged. It's really hard for me when more than one person is talking. Could we please agree to speak one at a time? So those are, those are some things that I might bring to a meeting where I'm not appointed the moderator. But if it's a meeting that doesn't have a clear objective and isn't being led well, then I probably am not very optimistic about the outcome. Do you, do you, okay, so to put you on the spot, I certainly am not trying to do it in a, in a malicious way. Like, would you... I mean, is there a scale of sorts where you might bail and kind of sort of give up on the meeting or where you might actually be like, okay, I think this is salvageable, but I have to sort of take it over? Or did I, I mean, pick I think, the wrong solution maybe even? No, I, th- I think that the answer is 
yes, and it depends, right? Like there are so many dynamics there. I, again, I'm not um, interested in taking over meetings that aren't my meetings to take over. But if you're asking, have I ever left a meeting and thought, well, that was a waste of an hour? The answer is yes. Okay. But but sometimes it's not my meeting to take over. And so you just suffer through. No, I I legitimately just curious. Go ahead, Luke. Can we talk about measuring, measuring meetings? This is something that appeals to me. I like to measure things. And I noticed uh, this is, uh, we're going to talk about the, the measure of group synergy, the Harvard Business School measure of group synergy. I have no idea what that is. Is that a way of, of measuring how good a meeting was? Yes, this is actually something that Susan Cain talks about in her book. And she lays out this exercise that the Harvard Business School has their students go through. So they are given, it's called the um, subarctic survival situation or something like that. So the premise is that they are together with their small group. They've been in a plane crash and they have to gather whatever supplies have survived the crash and rank them in importance for survival. And they do this ranking in a couple ways. They do it first as individually individuals. Then they come together as a group and they discuss what the rankings should be. Again, these are items collected from the crash and they're ranking them in order of importance for survival. And then they take those two rankings, right? The individuals and the groups, and they line them up with like an expert's idea of what the importance is for each of the items. And if group synergy has been achieved, if the outcome of the group discussion was successful, then the scoring or the ranking will be better than any of the individuals. It will be closer to the experts ranking. And the idea is that you've collaborated, you've pooled expertise, and you've worked together on the solution so that your answers are better or more closely aligned with the experts than any one individual's ranking. This is a retrospective measure where you can say this was a good discussion because uh, I don't understand. So they had this discussion about a plane crash. Yeah. And some of the group discussions went well and some of them didn't. Okay, let me start from the beginning. So the premise is that you have been in a plane crash and you're given a list of items that have survived the crash. And you're asked to rank them in order of importance. And you do that first on your own. Then you come together as a group and you have a discussion about which items would be most important for survival. And the idea is that group synergy is achieved when that group discussion scores better according to the expert, than any individual's ranking. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, for, for meetings that are more realistic to our lives, I would say that the way you measure the success of a meeting is whether or not your objectives have been met. And this goes back to being really explicit and intentional about what you hope to achieve in the meeting. And that can even be a part of your meeting to review your objectives at the beginning and then to save some time at the end and say, how did we do? Did we meet our objectives in this, in this time together? And if not, then let's reflect on what we should have done differently, right? This is the introvert's way to reflect. If I, if I had my way, I wouldn't attend 
any meetings without a written agenda and a written list of people who were going to be there. And ideally, that would also have what they were going to say. And then we wouldn't have to have that meeting in the first place because it would all just be done in in email form. But the, we, we rarely live in a perfect world. And I think quite a lot of people have to attend meetings, which they don't even know what the meeting's about. They just kind of turn up and, and the meeting just happens and there is no written agenda. So how, how can we encourage our employers, our organizations to, to adopt these, these better meeting practices? Well, you can ask, when you get a meeting invite and there's no agenda, you can say, and take full responsibility. It's very hard for me to attend a meeting when I've not had a chance to properly think about what we're going to discuss beforehand. I'd really like to be prepared. Can you please share an agenda? That's a simplistic answer. I do think that there is a way to influence our meeting culture when we're not the person in charge. I think that's very interesting because it's a very self-reflective statement, right? Like, uh, you have to know that about yourself and then be able to enumerate that to someone else. But it also kind of brings up, I think, one of the things that I have thought about previously, which is I think a lot of a lot of people who are calling these meetings don't necessarily know. I'm sorry, they're so used to basically winging it, right? That they're not like, oh, I need an agenda or they, they don't even think about those things. Those aren't on their mind. And in some cases, they don't know how to make one. One of the things that I have felt helps me because I, I don't think that I'm, like I said at the very beginning, I often find that I, like, I think I have introverted tendencies, but I don't, I don't like flow all the way to the end of the scale for sure. And, and there are definitely parts of me that feel pretty extroverted. It took me a long time to realize that like, I sucked at writing agendas. And that if I wrote agendas for things, like they were going to stink and I had to ask for help to get them. So uh, I could see it being a reasonable suggestion too, possibly that offering, uh, or that if you're aware enough to know that something needs an agenda, perhaps there's an opportunity there for, for you to also help somebody that maybe doesn't realize you know, or doesn't, can't make agendas, things like that. And again, you could you could crowdsource this. If you have like a standing meeting and there's no structure and everybody dreads it and you just feel this like impending sense of doom when the meeting time shows up, you could you could just show up and say, hey, I think that we would benefit from some structure here. What are the pieces or the components that we want to have every week? And how can we structure this in a way that makes it more palatable? And, and just crowdsource it. See what the group says. Maybe the group would say, you know, for this meeting, I would really like us all to do kind of a check-in. I feel like I don't, I work with you, but I don't really know how you're doing. Can we just start this weekly meeting with a check-in and go around the room so everybody kind of has a pulse on where we are today? That's just one suggestion, right? But, but making it something palatable to the group is a great way to help build in some structure and get suggestions from people about what parts are important to them or what suggestions they have using some of the tools we've talked about. Are there any other uh, topics that either one of you wanted to hit up and cover that maybe we haven't yet? I just want to emphasize like all the possible things that a moderator can do to keep a a meeting moving or to change the tactics. And I do think that having a variety of tools helps a lot. 
So in-person meetings obviously are different than Zoom meetings, but there are some themes that carry over between them. But just from a practical standpoint, like talking isn't the only way. And having the group shout out answers that you scribble down or type out into a document of like random, collecting random thoughts. Like these are all things that are easy to do, but sometimes in the moment they're hard to remember. So as a moderator, you could spend some time thinking of like creative ways to get people involved and and have that to refer back to when you're feeling stuck. So yeah, uh, you're talking to Zoom meetings. We, we are now living in a world of Zoom meetings. For the future historical record, it's um, star, date, star date 2020, and the Earth has been shut down by a pandemic. So meetings that were previously taking place in person are now happening on Zoom. So Zoom has this amazing mute button, and you can kind of mute people. And if you're the meeting host, then you can kind of turn, turn people off. And I think this is the most amazing moderation tool because I'm sure you've seen these meetings where you can only talk if you're holding the, the object, the, uh, what's it called? Like a talking uh, stick or... A talking stick or the, I think it was in Lord of the Flies, wasn't it? Um, the, they had the, something. I don't remember what it was. The, the, you, 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 if you're holding it, you can talk. If, if you're not holding it, you can't. But it was now, talking. Oh, the pickhead. Wait, hang now on a second. They talk to the big head. I'm trying to get Google to answer this for me. Sorry. We, we now live in the kind of Harry Potter world made real. And now we can kind of cast a spell of silence. So instead of having, you know, this rule, we can now have kind of enforced moderation. Is it, do, you, do you think this is progress in the, in the world of meetings or a step forward or a step back? Well, I would say that there are some things lost in Zoom for sure. Um, but but I do think that there are also some things gained. For instance, one person talking at a time is almost like digitally enforced by Zoom because when more multiple people start talking, it's just unintelligible. So I love it for that. But I do think that there are some interesting tools for the moderator of a Zoom meeting. You can silence everyone and and un- you know or mute them and unmute them selectively. You also can do small breakout sessions in Zoom. So previously in meetings that didn't use small groups, they're now using small groups and Zoom to be more effective, which I think is fabulous. I also would say that there is a not very often used function in Zoom that could be used by a moderator. If you click on the participants button, there is a place where you can raise your hand. And I love this. I think that moderator be making use of this feature. And how, how, how would that work? Well, you could use it creatively, but basically it allows for the moderator to see who has something to say and they could call on someone or unmute someone as needed, right? So again, it's just more options for the moderator. Yeah, I I actually have wondered definitely a few times if it would even help us here on the show. We We haven't stomped over each other too much for me to, you know, go hog at that, but it is interesting. Also, for the record, I looked it up. It was a conch. Yeah. I mean, it's been like 15 years since I read that book. So, yes, it's, it's longer than that for me. <laughs> the, uh, do, you think, do you think there should be some, some other rules on Zoom? Like, I, I disrupted a meeting the other day by getting out a gun. Uh, I can do it. I'm at home. I can, I've got props. 
Uh, I've got uh, I've got toy animals. You know the, the the you know you can broadcast anything you want through Zoom like visually. So is is there any way we can kind of clamp down on people disrupting meetings through inappropriate visual content? Well, I would like to think that our communities have mutual respect for each other. And so a moderator could say, what are some things that might be disruptive in our meeting? Let's list them out. What are some things we can agree that we will all not do or bring visually to the meeting so that it's not disruptive? I mean, that's one way to handle it. I feel like functionally this is handled at your business, like prior to Zoom days, right? Like they were like, um, don't bring guns to work, right? So they just were just leaving it at the door so that you didn't have to set the ground rule for every meeting. Right, and they had dress codes and things. And how does that work now? Do I have to dress for Zoom meetings? It's very confusing. <laughs> this is quite the rabbit hole we're going down now. Right. It's, I don't know, from my perspective. Okay, so so I have, I'm hoping to like bail out of the rabbit hole. It's my goal here. I think that we are definitely in a time where we're exploring that, where the boundaries of what isn't isn't acceptable uh, have to be explored. Because, like I said, prior to this, businesses were sort of handling it at the door. If they had had dress codes, they had dress codes at the door. If they they didn't want you to bring guns, they just you know there were other expectations that were sort of set in society. And we now are in a, a sort of shift where. What we were doing before no longer, you know, handles the problem. So we we're sort of in a new space. We have to come up with new rules, like totally legitimate questions that are completely additional. I think to whether or not you speak up in a meeting because you're introverted or not. But again, I would argue that as a moderator, the whole dynamic is what is important to you and is something that you're looking at and considering. And so on Zoom, now you're thinking about these visual effects, or maybe you're thinking about. Some people don't like their video on. Some people do. What are What is our shared uh, understanding about what our expectations of each other are? So again, a moderator can really set the tone and I would say is responsible for the overall dynamic. Do you, do you think people who, who always have their video off have something to hide? No, not at all. I legitimately, guys, don't have a webcam and the sound on my laptop sucks. So I have made the choice to use my desktop where my sound is better. <laughs> I totally support your Sorry, choice John. to not show your video, John. <laughs> I hope you feel that support from me. I appreciate that. I, I have nothing to hide. I would be on my laptop if it didn't suck. <laughs> oh, man. That's where I do all I my meetings. I honestly, truly did not think that Luke would take that comment. Um, as ammunition against you, John. Was, that was not my intention. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll have to get a webcam now. Any any other thoughts before we we kind of move on? Have we given enough silence? <laughs> um, I guess I had a question for you all. Like we've definitely talked about meetings where you know there's maybe ten people and only three people speak over the course of an hour. Um, that has been an experience that I have had many, many, many times in technology. But I, I wonder from your perspective, especially you, Luke, as an extrovert and one of those three people who's doing all the talking, do you leave that meeting feeling like, oh, this was such a success? Or do you leave, do you wonder, like, what were those people thinking? What, what did they not say? 
feels good at the time. At the time, you, you're talking a lot and you're, 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 you're doing a meeting and it feels good. It's when you put it into action, you know, it's when you look back after the meeting, you know, you, you, you think, oh, yeah, maybe I should have shut up then. But it's, it's awfully hard to do at the time. And I do strongly feel that unless you go in, as you said, with a game plan and you've got your, your, your plan written down, you're just going to do what you always did. Yeah, that's fair. So have you participated in a meeting that was moderated well and felt a difference in, in your ability to talk for on a, you know, on and on or the, the breadth of things that you heard because more people contributed? The brainstorming sessions. Yeah, I used to do um, brainstorming sessions with a multinational where we have cross-engineering teams in different countries who kind of get flown in. And uh, we we talk about uh, product development, you know, what, what features we're going to introduce. And um, the best ones were the most formal and well-prepared ones. So the best creative sessions I've been in have actually been the most structured, where someone's someone's got tired of wasting time, especially, you know, if you mentioned you're flying people in, it's not a cheap meeting. So someone has kind of absolutely railroaded the the format, if not the actual content. And uh, yeah, the, the, the greatest irony, I think, of a brainstorming session is the more formal it is and the more things that you've said, you know, people can do, the better a result you get at the end. I think that is a fascinating reflection. That's really interesting and aligns with what I've been saying. So that's cool. Awesome. Well, I think, I mean, we're, we're pretty, uh, we're pushing time. Do we want to roll in on into picks and things? Sounds good. I'll take that as a sign of consensus. So before we before we jump into that, uh, Didi, if people want to get in touch with you further or follow you, how do they do that? Well, Twitter is not my favorite platform, but I am there and would certainly respond. A message on LinkedIn would be great if somebody wanted a deeper connection. I'm easily findable on both LinkedIn and Twitter. And can you, for the, the sake of our audience members who... Uh, don't know your Twitter and whatnot, can you uh, say what those are, what your handles are? Yes. On LinkedIn, it's DD Lavender spelled out D-E-E-D-E-E-L-A-V-I-N-D-E-R. And on Twitter, DD is abbreviated. So it's DD Lavender, but just D-D-L-A-V-I-N-D-E-R. Awesome. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I use to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv jobbook. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Then let's go ahead and move on into picks then. Luke, do you want to start us out today? I do. It's going to be strange again. So I've been stuck at home like a lot of people and I've been watching TV and I love America and American stories. And I found this guy called Paul, David Paul, Paulides. 
uh, David Paul Leaders, and I think he's a retired detective, and he does a series of books and a couple of documentaries called Missing 411, about people who go missing in America. And uh, they did a movie last year about hunters, people who go into the wilderness and get and get disappeared, and it's all incredibly creepy. Uh, it's a great, it's a great little film, a documentary, and I highly recommend uh, "Missing 411: The Hunted" by David Paulides about people who go missing in the American wilderness. That's my pick. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and go next here. So I have two picks. I'm breaking uh, Luke's rule of of greediness on picks. Uh, so my first pick is I get uh, my wife makes me hum, homemade gumbo uh, like a couple times a year. And it's fantastic. I get it for my birthday. And then maybe if I'm lucky, I get it some other time. So definitely, it is like, I grew up in Texas and I would visit Louisiana. And so I kind of fell in love with gumbo, you know, whatever. But like, it's really hard to get good gumbo from, you know, a restaurant or something. And you're going to pay a lot of money. So it's fairly inexpensive to make and things like that. So I'm definitely just throwing this out here. It's totally worth the... Well, I'm sorry. I think it's totally worth... My wife keeps doing it. So I think that she thinks it's worth my appreciation. But it's a lot of work. But it, it ends up being... Anyway, it feeds me for like two and a half weeks. So anyway, it's an awesome deal to like get good food, make it at home. Of course, that's sort of a PSA anyway. My second pick is actually... I was kind of inspired when Chuck mentioned the Iron Druid book series a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, I, I have a book series that's a lot like that that I love from one of my favorite authors or whatever. But it's it's called the Harry Dresden Files series or whatever. And if you... I believe that on the show, I recommended some books by Jim... Or a series by Jim Butcher before. But I do... I do really like that guy. I think he's pretty awesome. I think he's probably one of the better authors. He's a, of our he's time. a, a wizard detective. Yeah. So he's basically all right. The premise of the story is that he's like a he's like a supernatural magical detective or whatever that lives in modern ish day Chicago. I think from having read the series, it's probably like thirty or forty, set about thirty or forty years ago. Not you know present day Chicago. But uh, he, he like solves mysteries for people that are like, oh, I can't figure this out. It doesn't seem normal or whatever, right? Um, so, but he's actually a wizard. Um, and the premise of the story is that like, I don't know, wizards and all sorts of magical creatures or whatever, they live among us. But because we're so like scientific and stuff, we just don't believe it. So we just see what we want to see and don't see the stuff that's actually, actually happening. It's a fun series. It is... I don't recall reading the series any moment where I was like, this guy is challenging me philosophically. I felt like the whole time that I was reading the series, I was, it's like watching, it's like a watch, watching a movie that you watch on Friday night. Uh, sort of, Like I call them like candy books or candy movies, right? Like they're just, they're fun to read. You thoroughly enjoy it. The plot like moves along pretty quickly or whatever, you know, so you're just having a great ride. And I didn't really feel like it was challenging my perspective. So, but it was a lot of fun. And I think that all of Jim Butcher's books are like that, even as ones that challenge your perspective are fun. So, but these, I didn't really think that that it was good. I highly recommend them, 
especially since everyone's at home right now and you have plenty of time on your hands, right? I'm going to check it out. That's my picks. And uh, Didi, did you have any for us? Yes, I do. And I am going to follow your lead, John, and present two picks. I'm sorry, Luke, if that will leave me in your book as greedy, Um, (laughs) but here they are. So the first one is a book I was given for Christmas uh, by an author called Jessam Ward. And the title of the book is Sing Unburied Sing. It's like poetry, but written in prose. It's very lyrical. I highly recommend it. And what I have since learned about Jessam Ward is that she is the only person to have won the National Book Award twice. And Sing Unburied Sing was her second winner. So her first winner is on, is on my list to read as well, but I highly recommend Jessam Ward. And then my second pick is actually kind of related to work. Someone um, forwarded an article and in at the bottom of the article, there was a link to this book that, I, that is free online. It's written by Ryan Singer and it's called Shape Up. And Ryan works at Basecamp. And the tagline is, stop running in circles and ship work that matters. So this might not sound very interesting, but it's so, it's such an easy read. And it's actually fascinating. I, I just, you can read it online. And I started reading it after I put the kids to bed. And I stayed up late. I read to like chapter 10. I couldn't put it down. So who would have thought that a book about how base camp organizes their work would be so riveting, but I found that it was. So that is my second pick. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dee, for coming on with us. Thanks, uh, Luke, for being with us today as well. Thank and, you so uh, much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. And thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, you're, follow us on Twitter. Check out our other episodes on the podcast. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.